What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their Have you gotten Rommel yet? Welcome into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com, a breaking news edition of the podcast because by the time you, the listener, are listening to this, Chase Burns has entered the transfer portal. Wes Rucker, Will Heflin, and myself are convening on a Monday night in the bottom of the eighth, top of the ninth of game three of the championship series. I, I turned it off. I turned it off. Forgive me, LSU, for not watching you celebrate this national championship that you are about to win after giving Florida quite the butt whooping. Um, but we've got more important things to talk about and, and wanted to make sure that when this news does drop on uh, Tuesday morning, I, I guess it is, that the good folks have something insightful to listen to as to why Chase Burns has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, at this point, I don't know if he is officially listed in the portal, to be quite honest with you, but he is going to the portal and it's just a matter of him popping up. Uh, all the paperwork has has been filled out. It's been submitted. He is often running to, to the portal uh, like he was coming off the field in Hattiesburg against Southern Miss. And I'd keep at, keep an eye out on a, a Big 12 school that recently played in the national championship game in the sport of college football as his destination. And maybe we can touch on that later. But uh, first and foremost, it is a, a surprising development. And we'll, we'll we'll start with you, buddy. Just your reaction to, to Chase Burns entering the transfer portal. This, this is something that certainly uh, is going to catch a, a lot of people by surprise. Maybe at the, not at this point because rumors have been swirling for about a week or so now. Uh, but just in general, if you would have told people this before Tennessee season, ended a lot of people would have been caught off guard and they were when rumors started to to trickle out on, on Friday evening. Yeah, I was very, very surprised at first, but through the the powers of Twitter, um everybody's pretty much expected it at this point. And I think I think fall fans and everybody who follows the team has a right to be a little bit frustrated and upset. Like Part of it is the current environment we live in today um, with the new rules and the NIL. I'm going to try to give my take on it without degrading or, you know, saying something I shouldn't or alienate, alienate former teammates that, you know, we've been talking in the group chat. Everybody has their own opinion. At the end of the day, he's looking for um, a change of scenery and a new opportunity to go pitch. And, you know, it's as simple as that. I, I share the frustration that, um, you know, most fall fans have, I'm, I'm certainly surprised as anyone else. Um, but at the end of the day, if he doesn't want to be here, then that's his choice and the new rules allow him to do that. So, you know, I think from next season's perspective, if he was going to be, um, not fully in it or have, you know, reservations to the coaching staff or, or teammates around him just not wanting to be here, then you probably don't want him here, which is tough to say when it's a guy that talented, right? But, you know, camaraderie and chemistry and everybody pulling the rope the same way on a college baseball team is so important. There's not one guy that, 
that you can't replace um, if he doesn't want to be there. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go start cheering for whatever team he lands on, but I certainly don't wish the kid, um, you know, failure or have ill feelings towards him, but, you know, certainly, certainly disappointing, um, you know, that he leaves a place that, that I, you know, hold so dear to my heart. Yeah, I think it's it's probably one of those deals that the farther somebody is removed from that situation and that program, the more surprising it is. I think the people who are closer to it, it's really not that surprising. I, I mean, I think for a while there, the consensus, at least, I don't want to say universal, but the consensus of people that I spoke with, as soon as he got moved to the bullpen, this they felt this was going to happen. Um, it, it was just one of those deals that, it just seemed inevitable, and there was a lot of talk around it. Now, I think there was some hope that maybe the way the season ended, the way that he performed in the postseason, maybe that that brings everybody back on the same page, and you're good moving forward. Um, but at the end of the day, it just it just wasn't going to happen. I, I don't. I think it's it's fair here. I think to understand that Chase Burns, like anybody else, has the right to give their side of the story, like, you know, what's going on with them and why they want to do what they want to do. I do think, however, it's really just sort of sad for everybody involved because this is an in-state kid. This is a kid who helped Tennessee get to the College World Series. This is a kid who, you know, if he had stayed in Knoxville and let's say he, like, has some one of those bad Tommy Johns that you don't come back from, he never has to worry about anything because he is an in-state kid who came to Tennessee, got to the World Series, and he kind of became a kind of a legend along the way. And when you go away from that, you burn bridges. Uh, whether you want to or not, you you burn them, and, and they're 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 burned. Unless he decides he wants to come back, which I don't think any of us think is going to happen, then this is the decision that has been made. He gets the right, I think, to offer his opinion on it. But as someone who has sort of covered the program, I think the only reason that I would ever leave Frank Anderson is if I wanted somewhere where I was guaranteed to pitch more. Like if, if you're not playing, like some of these other guys who go into the portal, Fitzgibbons, you know, um, Fanning, some of these other guys, they want to go somewhere where, where maybe they can have a guarantee to pitch more. And that makes sense. Burns is going to get all the innings he wants, whether it's starting out of the bullpen and he's getting to pitch for one of the best pitching coaches in the college sport. So it just doesn't make sense on any level, but we can probably talk about this later. I think some players are low management. Some players are are more high management. He's always, or at least the past couple of years at times, he's been a more high management player. Um, and his talent was worth it, probably, if we're being honest. But um, now you, as Will, I think, softly alluded to, you've got – someone who maybe isn't all in, you take him away. I don't think it hurts the group that much because you've got other arms there and you can be all right and you got guys who are all in, but the word I just come up with is sad because it's just sort of a sort of a sad deal. It just didn't it, it's one of those things that I think in, in in 5 years or 10 years a lot of people involved might look back at that and say why the hell did this happen? It just shouldn't happen, but here it is. Yeah, it, it's a really unfortunate situation is is what it is. And I, I did want to point out the timeline that Wes did 
uh, accurately describe it. it ultimately, the, the, the reason that I believe that this move is being made is because the moment Tony Vitello sent Chase Burns to the bullpen, I believe that Chase Burns and his camp, uh, whether it be family members, friends, agent, I, I think that that entire Chase Burns camp made up their mind from from that moment that they were going to transfer and and seek out a, a new destination uh, following the the end of the season. And you know, I'm, I'm not privy to to the day to day interactions um, between Tony Vitello, Frank Anderson, and and their players. Uh, I I do know that. If if we want to point out maybe a thing or two that Tennessee is at fault for, uh, I, I do think maybe communication on, on the coaching staff's part could have been a little bit better. Uh, and, and I don't think that's just a, a Chase Burns issue. Maybe some other guys, uh, there, there could have been a, a, a little better communication. Uh, and there, there seems to, to be maybe a, a disconnect uh, between the, the player leaving uh, and and Frank Anderson as as well in the sense of maybe these these agents have new age analytics and those analytics are, are saying one thing and Will can speak to this better than Wes or myself because obviously we did not play for Frank Anderson but uh, I would imagine that Frank Anderson has a more old school approach that isn't as analytical friendly so when you have analytics maybe saying one thing and in, in an old school pitching coach saying one thing maybe there's a I don't want to say butting of heads because I don't know that it resulted in that but maybe a a distrust or a, a tension of sorts I hope that makes sense but I again I'm not saying that Tennessee is completely innocent in this situation don't want to paint that picture whatsoever but the ultimate point that I'm getting to is I don't understand how you can look at Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson and think that the that the decision to send Chase Burns to the bullpen with the way that he was pitching, with the way that his freshman season kind of ended, wasn't the correct decision. Uh, and, and not only was it the correct decision, in my opinion, from an individual standpoint, it sparked the team by moving Andrew Lindsay to the, to being that game one starter and Chase Dolander to being that game two starter. Uh, and, and there's also been a sentiment expressed to me that if if maybe Chase Burns isn't allowed to pitch against Notre Dame in game three last year of his true freshman season, that maybe Chase Burns bolts last offseason instead of sticking around for this offseason. So uh, th there was there's always a, a little bit of friction, I, I think, uh, just from that camp in general and then with the way the season started and, and different philosophies that is i guess the the best way to describe it uh led to to some tension and then again i, I think ultimately uh just that move to the bullpen ultimately sealed the fate at that point and i expressed optimism on the last baseball podcast that we recorded uh, i also expressed optimism uh, throughout the week on, on the message board as well. And, and that was because Tennessee was optimistic following the season ending loss to LSU and Omaha that maybe with the way Burns performed at the end, end of the year, the way things ended in the season, that there was hope that maybe that those storms had settled and that he would be back for another year. But again, ultimately, I think just that decision just ultimately won out in terms of sending him to the bullpen. I, I just think that that sealed the deal right then and there. Uh, I, I don't think it's as much of an NIL decision as maybe rumors out there have it. 
I don't expect him to end up at LSU at this point. I, I would be very surprised if he ends up at LSU. Like I said off the top, I expect him to land in the Big 12 uh, at a school that was playing for a football national championship a couple of months ago, uh, and I would be surprised if if that isn't the end destination. So that that's kind of the timeline. Uh, and, and again, I, I don't want to be I, I don't want to be like overly mean or <laughs> um, beat Chase Burns over the head with, with whatever in trying to discuss this development, but uh, I, I do think that the situation as a whole was a headache at times and maybe contributed uh, to, to some early season struggles for Tennessee. Not that it was just Chase Burns, but I, I quite frankly, I'm being completely honest, I, I do think there's some some headaches that, that are moving on for the program that maybe some guys are excited to see go and and turn the page and and flip the calendar to, to next season uh, and, and kind of move on. So we'll ultimately, I, I know I just shared a lot, but I ultimately I, I think that that move to the bullpen uh, just kind of sealed the deal. And, and, and that was that regardless of, of how the season ended. Well, you guys both put it very nicely and without sounding like grandpa on my rocking chair, there's, you know, from the outside looking in, it just feels like a little bit of entitlement. I mean, the fact is, is Chase Burns started the very first game that he put on a college uniform. He was the Friday night starter his very first week of college baseball. Okay. He comes in uh, to this season as the Saturday, Saturday starter behind the, at the time projected number one, college pitcher in the draft in Chase Dolander. Um, and and he didn't pitch well. He didn't pitch well. The team wasn't winning. And Tony Vitello's job is to win baseball games, not to start a kid because he feels that he should be started. So, you know, again, we're not trying to beat the kid over the head, but I think we've we've all kind of beat around the bush a little bit it's a headache that I think the coaching staff and the team that will be in the locker room next year will be better off without ultimately um, aside from the obvious talent and competitiveness that he brings when he's on the field. Yeah. I think that a lot of times and it's the people around Chase Burns and are certainly not the, the first people who have ever, had a situation like this or caused a situation like this or been involved in a situation like this. But at the end of the day, um, Chase Burns is one of 35 to 40 players that, that Tony Vitello coaches. Uh, you, you are the head coach of not – you're not the head coach of a player. You're the head coach of 40 players. You're the head coach of a team. And your job is to go win games. And if Tony Vitello was faced with the decision that was, if I move this kid to the bullpen – I am most likely losing him after the season, uh, but this will help the team. It will help the player himself, and the team will get Save better. This season. He will get better, and it will turn around the entire season, but I won't get him for next year. I think he would do that trade 11 times out of 10 because that's the right thing to do. And if, if a player believes in his heart that he is not being treated fairly and he wants to go somewhere else where he – listen – you have all the right to do that. That is, hey, I'm all for it, right? Go get, go get uh, your your guaranteed pitch starts. Go get your bag. Go get whatever it is you want to go get. You got the right to do that. I'm glad you have it. But it's just it's unfortunate when a coach makes what is a tough decision 
but absolutely the right decision for both the player and the team and everybody benefits from it and everybody gets to go to Omaha as a result of it. And because you do that, ultimately you lose a player, but it's unfortunate, but I I don't, Ben, I, I just don't think, I think people sometimes think of a coach as like, he's their coach. Well, he's also everybody else's coach too. And he's got to make decisions that our people aren't, aren't going to be happy about. And at the end of the day, you got a lot of egos here, a lot of talent involved, and you're going to rub people the wrong way. So all you can do is look yourself in the mirror, make a tough decision. That is the best thing you think for the team and then live with the consequences. And I think that's what they've done. Well, and Wes, I was raising my hand at you because I was going to throw in another point to add to yours that, and I think that you and and Will would certainly agree with this. You you can't make a, a personnel decision based off of one player no you, you can't the when you do that what when you make decisions based off of individuals rather than the team that's when you lose the entire team and, and from that point on I, I think things would be even worse and and they certainly don't make it to to omaha um but i i here's the the best simplest nicest way to put it wes because and, and i'm i'm throwing it back to you because you you covered butch jones even even more extensively uh than i did i, I started kind of covering butch sad and tail true. end sad and of, true. Of, uh, of of his tenure when i was a student journalist so those are kind of my first couple of football press conferences uh that 17 season in which he was fired but i i followed closely as a fan in high school to, to the Butch Jones era. And, and, and when I was in community college and, and I started working with, with Swain uh, that 2016 season, uh, well before things went astray for, for Butch, there were transfers during the Butch Jones era that were because they were not being treated properly, not necessarily from a human standpoint. There, there were a couple of those, if we're being honest. Yes. But from a from a football standpoint, like guys weren't being put in positions to win. This situation is not one of those type of transfers. This type of transfer to me is a Brandon Huntley Hatfield situation that Tennessee basketball just experienced, and maybe they're being. Uh, a little bit of arrogance, and I think we'll use the perfect word, a, a sense of entitlement. Uh, I mean, when you have the agent kind of using the coaching staff as a yo-yo and, and dictating when and how much you, you can pitch, you have big issues, in in, in my opinion. So uh, to, to, to summarize what I just said, th- this is more of a, in my opinion, from what I know and have gathered, this is more of a Brendan Huntley Hatfield situation where there's a sense of entitlement rather than a Tennessee football during the Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt type of transfer where guys were were not being put in positions to succeed. Yeah, and, and I think Butch got himself in trouble when he started making promises to players that he couldn't keep because uh, when you make too many conflicting promises to people, um, you, 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 they can't all possibly be right. Like, you know, let's say I have $100. I'm just using a round figure here. If I have $100 and I say, Will, I'm going to give you 60 bucks and Ben, I'm going to give you 60 bucks. Guess what? Somebody ain't getting 60 bucks. You know what I mean? And that's just like a, a nice round even figure to say. And playing time can be the same thing. Like if there's 40 reps in a game and I say both of you guys are going to get 25, you know, and you're both quarterbacks or something, like you ain't getting them. It ain't going to happen. So you, you can't make those kinds of promises you can't keep. What I, I want 
I, I, I want to say this because I, I, I mean this. I think to Chase Burns' credit, he took news that he did not like, did not want, and however, obviously he felt a certain type of way about it, right? But he did not, during the season, take his ball and go home. He went out there, he took the ball when he got it, and he shoved. And I think he deserves full appreciation for that. Tennessee does not win a game in Omaha without him. Tennessee probably does not get to Omaha without him. So I think before everyone just lines up to just tattoo the kid, I think it can be kind of a mixed bag, which is why I also think it makes it sad was because he was still put in a position to succeed and to play better and to help his team. And it just wasn't what he envisioned it would be and the people around him envisioned it would be. And you know what? If you're a starter, you're going to get drafted higher. You just are. Um, if you're if you're a guy, even if you move to the bullpen later, if you get drafted as a bullpen guy, you're not going as early. You're not getting as much money. I understand the logic behind this. I really do. And you know what? If he spots that changeup and, and curveball the way that he was – in Omaha, like against Stanford, he is a starter and an elite one. There's no question about it. But he still might be a better bullpen guy at the bigs. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I think he's got the arm to get there and then some. At the end of the day, my thing is Chase Burns will be fine without Tennessee baseball. Tennessee baseball will be fine without Chase Burns. But how they could not see that they could have been better together blows my mind. Um, it, it's just – and I hate to say this – it just feels stupid. It really does. Like, it feels like you're going to be fine, Tennessee. You're going to be fine, Chase Burns. But the fact that 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 you couldn't figure this out when to clearly together how great you were, you, you can't figure this out. It, it, it's kind of mind-boggling. But at the end of the day, you need guys who will be all in in your program. You need guys pulling the rope in the same direction. You need guys... But we all know, we all know, and anybody who who will not admit this is lying, there are some guys who are worth the headache. And if they're a headache, it's not ideal, but it's fine because they're that freaking good. Like if Paul Skeens was out there being a total turd all the time, would anybody really care when he goes out there every few games and just guarantees you a win? Meh, you get over it, right? Like it, th- there's that there are some guys who are worth whatever it is that you have to do to, to get them to perform. Um, but it's a little easier when they're not there. So maybe this is something that I think both sides will be fine from. It's just, it's sad and it's stupid that it, that it's come to this because I think a lot of people, everybody involved in this in any way, Ben, I think needs to look in the mirror and go, how the hell did this happen? Because, even if one side's 80% and the other side's 20%, everybody associated with this could have done something to make something stupid not happen. And this just feels stupid to me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are going to have questions about money as well, and we haven't really touched on that a little bit. So I'll touch on it just from what I've heard, and it may not all be completely accurate. The... The rumors around there are that it wasn't about money at all because Tennessee made, you know, more than generous offers to keep him to stay. And yes, TCU is kind of in that not as much as LSU realm, but they do have um, 
a booster base that is very, uh, very serious about baseball. So the money there may be slightly part of it. The real money is this time next year when he's done, which is, I agree with you, Wes, you're hundred percent right, which is how stupid it is that both sides couldn't come together and figure something out because at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is, is that Chase Burns could not throw a single pitch next year and he's probably a first rounder. Mm -hmm. Okay. As he was at the, the LSU series, he wasn't going to be projected the one, one overall pick. He was throwing 93 to topping 98 on his best days. He gets moved to the bullpen. He's bumping one Oh two, lighting everything up in the postseason. And yes, he was doing it out of the pen, but he's headed into next year with all the hype in the world to if he if he goes off like he's more than capable of doing, he could certainly be a top five pick. And there's not an IL out there to come close to what that's going to be. So that's that's where I don't understand. It's like, dude, and yes, you get paid more as a starter, but remember Garrett Crochet went like 14th overall out of Tennessee and he struggled a little bit and you know, he was going to be a starter that COVID year, um, but he had pitched out of the pen his sophomore year, similar to Burns. He struggled a little bit, got moved to the pen, saw an increase in velo, and it was like, holy cow, this guy's the real deal. Yeah. So it just, you know, everybody's in agreement that he would have been a starter again next year, and it just feels like, well, are you scared that you would have gotten moved to the pen again? Like, why not just – pitch to your full potential and be a starter the whole year and everybody's happy. But, you know, like you touched on earlier, Ben, and and I'll leave it at this. Like when, when that camp's mind was made up, it's kind of hard to, to reroute that ship. Um, just when, just when he, you know, had that mind made up as they had probably already started feeling around and talking through whatever, and, you know, hopefully staying within the rules. But at the end of the day, he gave us, everything that we could have asked for when he was wearing the uniform. And for that, you have to respect him because it could have been very easy for him to just be a sourpuss and not pitch well and just kind of ride off the season, but he didn't do that. Um, So it's frustrating now, but, you know, certainly, um, you know, he handled business when he was out there. He did. Uh, And and the last two things that I I want to add uh, first with, with the TCU connection, I I know a lot of people are, are kind of caught, off guard. I, I agree with what Will said and and kind of alluded to it earlier as well. I, I don't think that this was the NIL decision that many people are going to to think or assume. Uh, if if that were the case, he's he's probably going elsewhere. Uh, so for for those who are wondering about the random TCU connection, uh, I believe that there is a connection between TCU and the agent uh, that that Chase Burns has. And um, for those who are not aware. Uh, players are now allowed to have an agent. Will you maybe be able to speak better uh, to to this? Um, that they That's are. Above my, it's above my tier, man. Uh, you mean you you didn't have a, a diff, four different agents in? in They're five allowed years? to have advisors, right? Like advisor type guys. Yes. We, we were allowed. We were allowed to have advisors, but they, you know, it was just a different world. You kind of just stayed in touch and did your thing, and then when the draft came around, that's when it really yes. got involved. Yes, I I believe that's the politically correct way to put it and my, my point in, in not really knowing is I don't know exactly what the NCAA rule is but it is allowed to have an advisor I think is what they're technically called but they're agents and 
They work as agents. Uh, and, and again, uh, I'm, I'm saying this on purpose. So I, I'm saying this on purpose. I'll leave it at that. Four agents, five years, from my understanding. And, and one agent change midway through college career to this point. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I think that's pretty telling uh, as as well. But um, there's apparently a, a connection between TCU and, and, and the agent uh, as well. And, and the other thing that I wanted to mention uh, on Friday night, I'm trying to pull up this this tweet. Uh, I want to give credit. Uh, it was uh, Noah Darling of Collegiate College Baseball Central. Uh, he he tweeted late Friday night at 1030 uh, that developing College Baseball Central has heard from multiple sources that Tennessee pitcher Chase Burns has has filed paperwork to enter the transfer portal. Uh, big time arm with tons of experience, obviously. And and I'm not bringing this up to point that he was technically wrong in the moment. Obviously, he was on to something uh, and that was very, very clear. And, and he was very, very correct that the rumors with Chase Burns were swirling. I'm bringing this up to make a different point. Uh, in the sense of Tennessee did try to keep Chase Burns. They absolutely did. Yeah. I, I do believe that there was a, a last-ditch effort, and not from an NIL, solely an NIL standpoint. I, I do think that obviously plays a role these days. But as I said earlier, Tennessee had felt better when the season ended on Tuesday night, I, I guess it was. They, they felt better about where things were with Chase Burns, and there was a sense of optimism, as I expressed on our message board, as I expressed on our podcast, they thought things had changed for the better and things did not change for the better as they found out. And, and once they kind of realized that they tried to make a last ditch effort from my understanding early this weekend, uh, which is why I tweeted in on Friday night and, and said that as of 11 PM Eastern, no paperwork has been completed. Uh, and uh, Tennessee had its side of the paperwork filled out early Monday. Uh, but I, I don't believe that Chase Burns' side had had the paperwork filled out until like first thing Tuesday morning, which we're, we're recording this on Monday night. So I, I think he filled it out late Monday and should be officially in on Tuesday morning uh, or will be at some point on Tuesday. Um, but Tennessee did try. I just wanted to to, to voice that um, because it, it does seem like both are, are having an ugly divorce. I, I think Tennessee did try to, to keep him in Knoxville, but – uh, again, ultimately, that decision to move him to the bullpen was uh, just the the seal, uh, and and that kind of that was that. Wes, yeah, my, my understanding and yours is probably better than mine, but mine is that it's sort of like you know if you ever hear the expression like trying to turn an aircraft carrier, like you know something that big, like it's just hard to kind of get it turned, and that thing had started turning the moment he was put in the bullpen. And, and I, I think maybe there was some hope from Tennessee's and that like he that the kid and his people would see the light at the end of the year. Like, listen, this is why we did this. We helped our team. We helped your kid. We helped this helped everybody. And you can see that. Right. And I think they were like, nope, it didn't. They were they'd made, they'd made up their mind. They, they were they were leaving. And and that is sort of my understanding of it. But uh, I do think Tennessee did make a pretty pretty solid effort to keep him around. I mean, but at some point there, there reaches a point where it's like you can't bend everything about who you are to like, keep one guy. You, you just, you can't do that. And maybe you can do that in basketball with the size of the roster. 
Um, but with baseball, you just can't do that. And the way Tennessee is recruiting the kind of players that they're bringing in, their next couple of classes look really good. I'm sure they'll go get some more guys in the portal this year who wouldn't want to join that program if they have certain needs. Like, it's like they're going to be fine, and Chase Burns is going to be fine. But I do think that during the process next year that there will be some people who ask him, wait, why did you leave Tennessee? Like, why did why did you leave Frank Anderson? Like, that, that that's – and if I am a, an organization, like, they understand that sometimes guys have to make decisions for whatever reasons, personal reasons, family reasons. Like, they have to go do something, and that's, you know, whatever. Um, but this is one of those things where they're like, wait, wait, why did you do this? Like, you have you had one of the best pitching coaches in the country. You had a situation where they moved some things around and you blew up and, like, you left. Why? And if you're going to put that many millions into a player as you would have to with those first, like, 10, 15 picks in the draft, you better damn sure believe that you're going to get a lot of those questions and a lot of those concerns because that's a lot of investment in something. And that's why one of the reasons I think why to reverse it really quickly is why despite Chase Dolander just never quite being exactly what he should be this season, for whatever reason, just did not click. You have not seen him move far in the draft because people know what they're getting there. They know what kind of kid they're getting. They know what kind of stuff they're getting. And they can look at this as one of those things that I say, like they say in soccer, like form is temporary, class is permanent. Like, you know in the long run if he's healthy what he's going to be and you're going to have dips but but you know so that would be something that i think burns and his people might do well to at least be prepared for is that you know maybe you go shove it next year at TCU and people are like oh yeah great you know but you're going to have some questions about this because i think a lot of people will look around scratching their heads being like why did wait 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 why did you do this like if you're Fanning or Fitzgibbons or somebody, it's like, yeah, you want to go get more playing time. Like you want to get guaranteed. But like Burns, it's it's just a weird deal, man. It's an unfortunate deal. But at the end of the day, the 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 biggest point that I have from all of this is that Chase Burns doesn't need Tennessee, and Tennessee doesn't need Chase Burns, and they're both going to be fine. But this is stupid. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. We do have some positive things to discuss uh, on the other side of a break. Chase Burns is headed to the portal in the portal. He's he's leaving Tennessee, and uh, that is that conversation. If you have any more questions, you can always direct them to us over uh, to the checkerboard on GoVols247.com. And like I said, we do have some positive Tennessee transfer nuggets to discuss, and we'll, we will do that after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast from GoVols247.com, a breaking news edition because Chase Burns is headed, is in the transfer portal, and that is that. Before we continue our conversation with some positive Tennessee transfer notes and nuggets, 
I would like to encourage you to like, rate, and review the podcast. We would certainly appreciate that on our end. Uh, Will, Tennessee did pick up a transfer pitcher on Friday night, 30 minutes before uh, Chase Burns' rumors started to swirl on Twitter, and and that pitcher is A.J. Causey uh, from Jacksonville State. He is from the Huntsville, Alabama area technically harvest alabama played at sparkman high school which fun fact that nobody cares about was in my region when i was in high school buckhorn where i went to high school played against sparkman and lamonte uh, turner played played and the the home of lamonte turner yes before lamonte like went to img and a couple of other different prep schools um but sparkman high school producing a eventual Tennessee pitcher and he's an interesting prospect will because he's kind of low submarine slot and and his low 90s is regarded to having one of the best change-ups in in college baseball but when I spoke to him and and we've got a story up on his decision on the site the only way you can find comments from AJ Causey about why he picked Tennessee over Auburn and other SEC schools everybody talks about the change-up analytics say it's the best change-up in college baseball but first and foremost he mentioned the traditional submariner mix of sweeper uh, sinker and, and that the changeup was kind of something that he developed more recently and, and was more of like a third pitch than a go-to pitch like you would assume. Yeah, and I care about your Huntsville region. Okay, I care. But I think I, that's I kinda awesome care. I kind of care like a little bit. He was the, he was the Friday night guy from – that arm slot, which is typically, I know bullpen's a touchy subject apparently, but <laughs> he, you know, that typically um, profiles more as a bullpen uh, repertoire, which he may end up being at Tennessee, um, which may actually help his numbers um, having facing a lineup, you know, one or two times through rather than rather than three. But I just think that's a fun not fun for the coaching staffs, I guess, but that's a, a very different useful weapon to have wherever you decide to use them. And, you know, change up for lack of a better term is the great equalizer. It's um, you know, it's an awesome pitch. I threw it all the time. Redmond Walsh had probably the best change up um, that I was around and you saw what that guy did from, you know, not having a whole lot of velo because he threw an absolute yo-yo. So I think, you know, he was also a two-way guy. So he's a good athlete, which I know Frank and Tony uh, love to have on the mound, especially if there are bunt situations or, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's just I think I think having that different arm slot and having a, a resource to go to, um, whether it's in the rotation or out of the pin, is extremely uh, valuable and you know hopefully hopefully he's a good asset to have not only on the field but also in the locker room because you know it doesn't matter what school you're at if you're a Friday night guy you're considered like the dog the competitor on the team um, and so he brings that with him and that's great experience but you know Wes you can you can probably speak on it as well I just think having those different arm slots is so valuable for a pitching staff almost as much as like having right left because when you go, you know, you don't even have to go right left as much when you can go over the top. Like I can, I can just see it now partnering him with drew beam. You've got the over the top curveball, and then you've got the change up coming from down under. It's like, that's a really tough night for a group of hitters 
Um, I always hated the, facing the submarine guys. Yeah, th- there's nothing fun about facing a submarine guy, especially if you hit from the same side of the plate from which that dude throws. You just can't see the ball. It kind of travels across you. You know, you think about all those times, like, and I know Maddox threw a little bit more like a traditional, but he would throw that kind of that ball that would kind of start going right at you and then move away from you, and it's just so difficult to do that. A submariner throws the ball kind of across your body, so it looks like almost every pitch is is, and you can see this when Sewell was pitching at times, like like the ball, no one's comfortable because it looks like every pitch for a split second is going to hit them. Every single pitch, basically, that it's thrown, it is not a comfortable AB. And having a guy who can drop down and do that, it's interesting to me that he was a two-way guy who was a, a little bit of a sidearm submarine thrower because I, I would think that most two-way players would be straight over the top throwers because that sort of throw, um, unless you're basically like a third baseman coming in for a bunt, it, it's it's not like a natural throw anywhere else. So, I, I, you know, I would always, like, anytime Sewell fielded a bunt, I would always be a little bit cautious, like, Wait, can he throw anything straight? Like, if that ball comes across the diamond, like, is Burt going to be, like, trying to figure out where the thing's going or Lipsius? I mean, you know. It, it, he can't throw anything it, straight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he would have to throw, like, to throw you out, he'd have to throw a ball that started, like, three feet to the left and then came over. But it's, it's, it's like, I think it's good to have anybody who has ever been on a college staff and been a Friday night starter is someone you want in your locker room. Because that is, as Will said, that's a dog, that's a dude, that's a dude who goes into every series being like, all right, it's on my shoulders, let's go. And everybody, no matter what your personality type is, you're a dude in that program. And that sort of mentality is very, very helpful. And having a guy who can occasionally make righties very uncomfortable. And I know we've entered an era where some right, left and right, right and left, left splits don't mean what they used to. Like we're seeing more reverse split guys and stuff like that. I would just guess that that righties do not like facing this guy and lefties like it a little bit more because it's just it's an uncomfortable thing. And Tennessee really hasn't had a ton of guys with that profile recently. And and I think it's kind of nice, uh, as Will alluded to, it's really nice to be able to throw different arm slots and different pitch types at guys because a lineup will go into a game preparing for a certain thing from the starter. They've been they've watched video. They've geared up for it. They're ready. And, and then you bring in somebody who just could not possibly be more different, and it screws with you. It just does. There's you know special hitters can overcome it, but it's just a tough thing. So I think it's a great addition for Tennessee. And if he's a guy who's completely comfortable with the bullpen and going in there and being a dog in that pen, I think it's good stuff. Yeah, and one more thing, Ben. The fact that he's low 90s from down there, that will look like 97 to 100 from a hitter. I mean, that is just – that is not fun. I I remember the guy from Coastal Carolina who carried them to the national championship. He threw from down there. They started him. He threw like 8 million pitches in Omaha. He had a rubber arm, and it was kind of like, that doesn't matter. He's throwing from down there. He's like 84, 86, and he was blowing guys up. So the fact that, you know, A.J. isn't probably – 91 92 if i had to guess and maybe we see an uptick like if he's 94 from down there i haven't seen anything like that with, with the change up that's going to make the fastball play up even more i i am i'm fascinated to your last point will uh to, to see how much he develops because one thing that he expressed to me and this was kind of the the premise of my story that i wrote on his decision uh is that 
he ends up at Tennessee because he he fell in love with the the prospect of being developed by Frank Anderson, which is f- real funny to talk about on this particular podcast in, in hindsight. Uh, but not just Frank Anderson, but Quentin Eberhardt yeah. as well, uh, who is just an absolute beast and and the absolute best in college baseball as a as a strength coach, as as you well know. Well, I mean, the guy was th- the strength coach. Uh, for the Chicago Cubs uh, uh, before de- ultimately deciding to, to come back to, to Knoxville. And, and maybe we can get Q on the pod this summer and, and talk to him a, a, about that. But uh, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, it was it was kind of a, a self-scout of sorts, he said, of, of just reading up on people in the industry that, that are all about nutrition and, and working out. And once again, funny enough, uh, read a book – by TCU's uh, assistant baseball strength coach. Uh, and he saw just on his own by what he was doing and, and researching, saw his velocity jump up from like low 80s to, to more or high 80s to, to low 90s more consistently. So an off season with uh, Frank Anderson, which he talked about how he was real excited uh, to work with Frank because Frank is so great at body movements and understanding how body parts move and like how you can make your body do this and that'll fix that, make it do that. And it'll fix this or that. Uh, so he's ex- excited from that standpoint and uh, Frank helping him tighten up the slider. And then obviously working with Q and, and I'm sure adding some muscle ba- muscle mass, I'm sure he will be flirting with, with mid nineties by the time the season rolls around and uh, another useless stat that, or fact, I should say that nobody will care about. I've faced one sidearm, pitcher in my entire life uh, at the high school level and it was my first varsity at bat as a sophomore at at Richmond Hill High School and outside of Savannah Georgia in in Richmond Hill uh, Georgia fun fact another fun fact nobody will care about Uh, I'm I'm three for three on the day now with fun facts nobody will care about Uh, Nick Fitzgerald former Mississippi State quarterback was my throwing partner uh, as a as a sophomore Uh, but my first varsity at bat as a sophomore in high school, this was before my, my dad was in the Army. We moved to Huntsville uh, for my junior and senior year. First at bat was against a submarine guy, and I hated every aspect of facing this dude. I closed my eyes and swung as hard as I could, and I was so happy to ground out hard to shortstop. I, I had never been so happy to make contact in my life. It was such a such a pain uh, to deal with. And, and the last thing, Wes, I know you're eager to, to say something. I kind of pegged him as a bullpen guy. He, you, you all mentioned that the Friday night stuff uh, this past season for Jacksonville State, but as a as a freshman, I don't care what conference you're in, but as a freshman, he was one of Jacksonville State's key bullpen arms, and he had much better numbers than this past season. And for those who are caught up on the numbers, to me, this is another Seth Halverson, another Chase Dolander, where maybe the numbers are a little higher than what the stuff actually is. And when he gets to Knoxville and gets to working with Frank Anderson, I think he's going to be a really, really nice piece for Tennessee, whether that is as a starter at the end of the day or as one of Tennessee's top bullpen arms uh, to to help close out games. Yeah, Ben, I don't remember whether it was in – um, Clemson or or in Omaha, but I remember when you first told me that 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 Tennessee there might be a chance that Tennessee might be looking at a picture from Jacksonville State, and the first thing I did was go look at Jacksonville State's roster, and I'm like, we're sitting in the room, and I went, 
oh my God, why would they want anybody on this pitching staff? I think the lowest ERA was like 5'9 or 5'8 or something. That was the low end. That was the dog of the staff. So I was like, are they playing in the, like in the softball park? Or like, this does not look good, man. This does not look good. Uh, so I, I, I can't speak to the way they're coached or the way anything's going on. But, I mean, I would look at that and I went, oh God, that's not good. Um, but the one thing that... You talked about you know pitching or, or working with Quentin Eberhardt and working with um, with with Frank Anderson. I think another thing that will be interesting and that helps some of these guys now this 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 kid's going to come in with a full fall and a full preseason camp of trying to get out guys like Christian Moore and Blake Burke and Hunter Ensley and those types of dudes, Dylan Dryling, Kvars Tears. You know, you make a mistake to him, he's going to hit it one twenty off the bat, about one hundred and eighty seven million feet. And that makes you better, right? Like that—that's either gonna—that's either gonna um, take your confidence to to the lowest point it's ever been, or uh, if you fight through that, you can end up being a dude on the other side of it because you're 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 getting out one of the most you're going against one of the most powerful lineups in college baseball every single time you take the mound in practice. Which you know, if you believe iron sharpens iron, and I think most people do. That helps you. Like, no offense to the kids at Jacksonville State—they had a couple of good offensive players, um, but. Pitching against those Tennessee guys every day, I bet if you asked Dolander, I bet if you asked Halverson, some of the other guys who have transferred in, I bet they would say that made them better because if you can get those guys out, you feel good about getting just about anybody out. So I think that's a that's good too. And I think this is a guy who, um, you know, is I think he played travel ball with with uh, with with Beam and with, I and, with, uh, with old old Drew Beam. And, and, and let me go four and, for four. With Ooh, useless facts, Wes, in relation to, to summer ball, Drew Beam and um, A.J. Causey, they, they played travel ball together with uh, the Knights program mm-hmm. uh, based out of kind of the mid-state in Tennessee and also down in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, and they they know Kyle Wright, who I played high school ball with, uh, and Kyle's dad, Roger Wright, was my coach. Kyle now plays for the Braves, was awesome at Vandy. And my senior year, Kyle was a year younger than me. So he was a junior. I was a senior. And that summer going into my senior year, he obviously, because his dad was the coach, had like keys to to the facility. And we'd go up to the facility all the time and hit and whatnot and throw. Uh, And he had like a little blue truck type, not a traditional truck, but more like a a Ford Ranger or not a a forerunner. It wasn't a forerunner, but one of those type of cars. And uh, Do you know the VIN number of the license plate, any of those? No, I, I don't. I just remember his navy blue. Um, but we rode around in that thing all summer long. And come to find out, when I was talking to AJ, Coach Wright, Roger Wright, he sold that car that I rode around in all summer long to AJ, who is now driving <laughs> around in that same car. Uh, so I, I thought that was pretty ironic. But, yes, uh, Drew Beam and, and AJ both played together. Uh, and AJ told me that, they would get called up to the older teams and, and they'd kind of travel together. And uh, AJ would stay at Drew's house uh, in, in Murfreesboro. And as somebody put it to me, Drew Beams, arguably Tennessee's best recruiter right now in, in so many ways. Uh, so yes, you, surprise me. Correct. He, he, he has such an infectious personality. QB one, QB one. Uh, and by the way, you can put the Drew Beam rumors to rest. You don't have anything to worry about there. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I was just saying that the, if you're hanging out with that kid and his family, you, you you don't have any character concerns to worry about there. Like you're 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 a good dude hanging around good people. At that point, you're you're gonna you're gonna help the locker room. That was my only point. 
I just wanted to add to Ben's uh, nuggets and say that there might be someone on this podcast who has a base hit off Mr. Kyle Wright. I don't Ooh. know. I don't know who yes. it was. Once upon a time, there was a two-way who um, ended up being a little bit better of a pitcher, but he did, in fact, find a barrel uh, with his eyes closed and heart full off of uh, Kyle Wright in Nashville, by the way. So, yes, that is, I, I, that I, is, that, that's a scalp. That's a nice scalp for the collection is what that is. Well, he, he thinks it's a scalp because what he forgets is that we played together, which means that I faced Kyle multiple times during practicing and scrimmages and I have one hit off of Kyle as well. So and I can, I can thank Coach right. There's two of us, and, and Wes is the odd man out. No surprise there. Uh, of course, Wes is the one, you know, pulling up the the, the caboose here. Uh, come on, Wes, we need, need need you to step up. As I said, you're wearing an adult slow pitch softball shirt. You, you're the guy that strikes out uh, during during. I have pitch. never struck out one time in a <laughs> slow pitch softball game. That is. That is rumor. My 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 stroke riddled body right now would still not do that. I would still go out there and hit the ball. Maybe not as far. Uh, but the only um, I remember when we played the uh, the East Cobb Astros when I, I was the same age as as Frank Cora McCann, the one they played on. And um, uh, to this day, uh, Jeff Frank Damn, Cora hit old. a ball that I don't do not. I think it's been what twenty years, and I don't think the ball's landed yet. This was like when you could still use the drop five. It was the last year. My senior year was the last year you got the drop five barrels um, that were bigger. So you were basically hitting with like a piece of like a NASA space shuttle. And it was kind of awesome because you could miss hit a ball and you could still hit it out of the yard. <laughs> and uh, Frank Gore barreled up one. <laughs> and it was to this day, I, I just remember looking up and being like, that is hysterical. I am the pitcher. I'm never, I won't say his name on this podcast. But uh, he was on our team, and that was the farthest I have ever seen a baseball hit. And it, I, it, it honestly, like the one that Vetrano from BC hit at, in Knoxville this season that was like 480-something, it felt like it was about that long because it just never landed. It was like Blake Burke's church killer in, uh, down there in, uh, in Hattiesburg. It was a missile. I, I do need to credit Coach Wright for my base hit off of Kyle, which was a double the opposite way. Stand up or sliding. Right field line. Stand up or sliding in. Standing up, I, I assume. I didn't mean to. You were just late. <laughs> well, to, to your point, Coach Wright made Kyle throw a slider. He said it out loud. I knew what pitch was coming. Oh, okay. I closed my eyes, got the barrel out there, and went the opposite way with it, and, and I had a double. There was also the time where uh, Kyle hit me in, in the back with, with a 95, 96-mile-an-hour uh, fastball, and, and, and that did that did not feel good. That couldn't have felt good. We we uh, digress a little bit, but let me let me touch on Wes's point real quick about iron sharpens iron because I did have to face um, Mike Honcho, Mister Jordan Beck, way more than I would have preferred, um, and that type of stuff it really does make you better. Like him coming to this program and seeing those lineups, whatever mixture of guys it is on any given fall practice, will make him better. And the other thing about his slider with like. Frank Anderson is so one of his best things as a pitching coach is just the way he can tinker with grips and body movements, like you said, and just develop feel, which is like almost an impossible thing to do. It's like, well, how do you coach feel? I don't know. He waves his magic wand and he does it. But like, when's the last time somebody came to the University of Tennessee and like didn't have a good slider? Like that's his calling card. Whether you have it when you get there or not, it will get better. Like mine certainly got better the longer I was around him. 
Um, and so I just think, I just think it's a perfect fit. Um, and I don't know the kid. I know Drew a little bit. Um, so if he hangs out with him, then I'm good with it. Like you guys said, and it just, you know, I'm excited for it because I think it's such a neat, uh, you know, weapon to have. And I think he'll just fit right in with the staff. And if he's, if he's fully on board with Q and with Frank, then he's already, you know, miles down the road in the right direction. So I just see it as a seamless transition to come in here and contribute um, and, and to just help the, help the program keep doing what they're doing. And I wonder, Ben, I wonder and this, this, we, there's no way to know this now, but I think if, when people find out that Burns is leaving, it would not surprise me in the slightest if a couple of other like big pitchers, maybe at other schools or portal guys would take a lot longer look at Tennessee because they'll know how many innings just became available for a really, really good baseball team. So that door swings both ways. And I think if somebody, if I'm a, if I'm a player and I'm looking around at schools that I might be interested in and, and Tennessee's not on my radar, cause I'm like, how am I going to get innings there? Yada, yada. You see like Burns is leaving. You go, Oh, so Dolander, Burns, and Lindsey, and all they're all they're all gone. Oh Alverson, oh, Alverson, all these guys are gone. Man, like that op, that opens the door for I mean, I know you're gonna have Beam, you're gonna have Russell, you're gonna have Wyatt Evans, who I think people always forget about when he comes back, how good he possibly could be um, with a lefty with that much stuff. But that opens up the door for somebody else to maybe that we haven't even possibly thought about that might like go into the portal and try to go to Tennessee because of that. Just, just a thought. Well, you are absolutely spot on. And and that is a great transition because on, on the downside of Chase Burns transferring out, and I I don't want to make it seem like Tennessee, Tennessee is going to replace Chase Burns. I mean, the guy might be the number one overall pick next year. Like Chase Burns is an elite talent who uh, is probably going to do, great things in the sport of baseball for a very, very long time. But I do like where Tennessee's pitching staff is going to be next season. There's already a nice nucleus, as you mentioned, Wes. Uh, Tennessee has added A.J. Causey uh, from Jacksonville State, might be able to start, will certainly at minimum be a great bullpen option, uh, which is just as important as starting. I mean, what you do in the first five innings isn't as important as what you do the final four innings. Uh, So uh, being a key bullpen arm is is just as important as starting even if it maybe doesn't have the cachet of being a starting pitcher uh but you have the nice nucleus you add aj causey and there's two pitchers that i think tennessee is in great shape to land uh the first one is nate sneed uh, from wichita state he was a very very key piece out of the bullpen as a true freshman Mm -hmm. uh, at wichita state uh, last season and, and had some really nice numbers 24 appearances uh, went one and two with a three one six ERA and had three saves. Uh, struck out fifty three and forty two and two thirds innings. Uh, opponents hit two thirty off of him. So I really like where Tennessee stands uh, for Nate Sneed, uh, the pitcher, the right hander from Wichita State. Really, really like where Tennessee sits with Nate Sneed. Uh, the other one who I think Tennessee has a little more work to do, but I think is in a great position. And this is a newer name, if you've been following along on the checkerboard at GoVols247.com, that is Luke Holman, the mm. transfer from Alabama, who was their uh, game one starter. I'm I'm eliminating game Friday night starter. I'm not saying that anymore now that the SEC makes teams start on Thursday as often as they do Friday. Game one starter is what I'm going with 
from now on. I don't have his numbers in front of me at the moment, uh, but but the kid's a stud. Will he has <laughs> filthy stuff? Uh, his numbers look great. He had a three something ERA again. Alabama's game one starter. Uh, and I think that Tennessee is in a, a really, really nice position. Still some work to do there. Uh, but to Wes's point about Burns, I do think maybe there's some motivation on that end to come in and replace Chase Burns. And if they can add Luke Coleman after they potentially add Nate Sneed to the to the nucleus that they have, and then there's A.J. Causey, and, and then who knows who else may pop up uh, along the way over this next month or so, that's a really nice pitching staff. Yeah, and I watched uh, Holman several times this year. His stuff is electric, and you know it's he can run it up there from the left side, and that's another nice weapon to have. Um, whether it's starting or out of the bullpen, let me let me say this, and I don't want to get on on a, you know off on a tangent, but real quick because you know it. So much of this pod has been about coming out of the bullpen and starting, and and rightfully so, but. Coming from a guy who was traditionally a bullpen arm, I was actually much more comfortable and better out of the bullpen. I started that 21 year out of need. If you guys remember Jackson Leith, yep, who got hurt, the way it was kind of shaping up, and it was great for me. You talk about showing different looks on Saturday, on Friday, it was Chad Dallas to Sean Hunley, and that was about as good as you could have right there. On Saturday, when we played Indiana State, it was Jackson Leith, and I piggybacked him. And they just looked baffled at all my stuff. And I was like, I wasn't getting those types of swing and misses very often, but coming in after that was, you know, really benefited me. And it's just, I just kind of liked the personality of bullpen and just the, you know, like you said, th- those are some really important innings. Like no one is more important than the other, but if it's 3-3 in the seventh, it's a little more tense than if it's 3-3 in the second, right? That's just the nature of the game. So, you know, I just want to say that coming out of the bullpen is just as important and the starting, you know, gig, because in every other sport, if you're not a starter, you're a bench player. Well, the bullpen is kind of different. Like a lot of times the team's best pitchers are bullpen guys. Now, not Skeens and not, you know, most college teams, but like Sean Hunley was our best guy in 21. Most valuable. He, he was, he was bullpen guy and he's starting in triple a now. So like he could do whatever he was a Swiss army knife, but. And you a know, steal. And I just, steal I, at that I, I just take it, I take it a little bit. I take it a little bit personal, you know, because I'm a bullpen guy at heart. I was most successful out of the bullpen, had a great summer in the Cape as a closer, which kind of surprised everybody, especially, you know, our coaching staff. They're like, wow, good for you. So anyways, <laughs> If Holman were to land here, I'm saying that we really, really needed a lefty who could A, start, or B, be that back-end bullpen guy because, like, you know, Garrett Crochet was just so valuable to have out of the bullpen. Like, Redmond Walsh was a different type of arm, but, like, had one of the best careers in Tennessee history. So, you know, I'm excited about anybody that wants to come be a Vol and can contribute but when it's an arm who has multiple possibilities, it's that much more exciting for me. And Sneed, Sneed hits a hundred, by the way. Like he he he's done that a few times. Like Sneed, Sneed's a guy who 
comes out of the pen and you look at the strikeout numbers and it's because there is stuff there. Like, and this is stuff before he gets into an SEC strength and conditioning program. And he's already been able to, I think maybe go up to one-on-one, but definitely touched a hundred multiple times this year, uh, at least a few times. So that, that is, um, that, that's, that's a big time weapon potentially for Tennessee to add, because I mean, it seems like everybody throws 95 now. Like, it's just like, Hey, like it was amazing in Omaha. Amazing. And how many, like Oral Roberts, Oral Roberts is out there with multiple dudes shoving it like toward the upper 90s. It's just the world we live in now. But uh, still true 100-type guys, like those, still on a ton of those. And um, this kid's already doing it uh, before he would even get to Tennessee. So that's – you want to talk about replacing Burns and how difficult that is? Well, bringing in another bullpen guy who can throw 100, that'll help you. Holman's a righty. I'm sorry. I was. It's all good. To your point. They do need need another lefty, though. They absolutely do need another lefty. I'm they pretty do. sure Bama has a lefty as well, so maybe we they just do. bring both. That that freshman, that freshman lefty, who's one of my favorite players uh, to watch in the country. That dude uh, is uh, is unreal. That freshman lefty, like six five, six six, like a string yeah. bean, but flings it. Yeah, he's like up to ninety eight or ninety seven. Which so. to to be fair, each of these guys, Holman and the lefty, I, I don't know his name. To be quite honest, they have the same body types. Holman is a is a skinny dude at, at one ninety five, um, but. Uh, he's he's really good. And looking at his bio right now, uh, he is currently over in Cary, North Carolina, uh, at the USA Baseball Collegiate National Training Camp. Which uh, you know who's over there as well as we Drew Beam and Christian Moore. And to Wes's point about Christian Moore, I want to say this about Christian Moore. Uh, Christian Moore was very immature when he arrived to to Tennessee, uh, and. That has gotten the best of him in the past throughout his freshman season and uh, the beginning of his sophomore season this past year. Uh, but I will give him credit. He has matured quite a bit. And uh, I have heard a lot of praise for how he went about himself the second half of the year and throughout the postseason and and talking to some people. Because of the recent developments with Tennessee baseball, it sounds like guys like Christian Moore and Drew Beam, they're, they're going to try to take that leadership roll grab it by the horns and and run with it and that's something that Tennessee kind of lacked to start this past season uh and and no offense to everybody on the team well there was a vacuum there was a vacuum from the year before like that's so many personalities gone and and nobody had really had the personality of a Drew Gilbert to to grab the bull by the horns and and take on that leadership role whereas I I think Christian Moore and Drew Beam like I think they're gonna be walking around like it's their their team and I I think that they are very very excited to turn over this new leaf get away from or uh, take some Tylenol, get rid of the headache, uh, and, and keep it moving. So I do find that interesting that Luke Holman is, is assuming that he made it. I don't know why he wouldn't have uh, some guys turn it down, pitchers if, if they threw a ton and, and are maybe taking uh, the offseason off from, from throwing or a couple of weeks. But he's supposed to be over there uh, right now with Drew Beam and, and Christian Moore, which uh, I, I think is 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 great and uh, he is someone that Tony Vitello has has been face to face with, and obviously that's always a good thing on the recruiting stand standpoint or on on the recruiting front if you're Tennessee. So uh, things shaping up well for Tennessee uh, to to build out a, a nice pitching staff despite losing so so much production this season, which you would expect under Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello. Now on the offensive side of things, uh, Tennessee has not landed a commitment just yet. And the, the names that I will mention 
are going to to lead into an interesting conversation before we get out of here. Uh, first name I'll start with that doesn't really have anything to do with the conversation I just alluded to, uh, Cannon Peebles uh, from NC State, the, the the catcher who was a true freshman uh, this past season who raked. Uh, that That is going to be a difficult one uh, for Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> apparently it's like swimming for sharks with the sharks for that one. Everybody in the country. Uh, wants him or a lot of people do so that one's going to be a difficult pull for Tennessee uh, but Tennessee is in a really good spot uh, from my understanding Tennessee met face to face with him uh, on Monday night Sunday night or Monday night uh, Tony Vitello Josh Elander Frank Anderson the, the entire crew was there to speak with uh, Cannon Peebles if, if that tells you anything about how much Tennessee would like to add a catcher. And there's some other names uh, as well in the mix, but that's that's the main one. That would obviously be a, a huge addition if they can land the NC State catcher. Now, as for the the conversation, and, and obviously when you all are speaking, please touch on the catcher if, if you would like to. But uh, the point that I'm getting to is there's three, three other names that to kind of mention, two specifically. One that I've mentioned on our board for several days now, and that's Ryan Galaney, the Wofford transfer, who was the SoCon player of the year this past season. Hit 17 home runs, hit like 383. Uh, He, to me, uh, if he picks Tennessee, and I feel like Tennessee is in a really, 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 wink, wink, good position with Ryan Galaney. To me, he's this year's Griffin Merritt. Older guy, kind of bigger build and just rakes uh, and has a ton of pop in that bat Uh, played uh, a lot of uh, he played first base for Wofford this past season. But what's interesting is the season prior in 2022, when he was a junior, he was their third baseman. So he was their third baseman and then their first baseman this season. I believe that Tennessee wants him at third base, but what makes it interesting is that the Zane Denton conversation, I don't think he's 1,000% going pro. I, I think that he would like to go pro, as you can mm-hmm. certainly understand, and, and I think Tennessee's going to try to help make that happen. Um, but there is a a world in which Zane Denton returns. Now, the good news is Galani has played multiple positions. He should be athletic enough to, to fill different roles. But what makes it interesting is that, and I have not dropped this name on the board yet, but Billy Amick of Clemson is talking to Tennessee. And from my understanding, understanding will be on campus later this week for a visit with Tennessee. And he, again, from my understanding, is more of a third baseman. So you're looking at some corner infield guys and, and maybe having to, to shuffle some puzzle pieces uh, around, which makes for a fascinating conversation because obviously you have Blake Burke at first. Uh, you you have potentially Zane Denton coming back at third base, and and then you have these corner infielders coming, and, and maybe will this is a situation in, in which you get them on campus and you figure out where to put them later on because if you can lay, land Ryan Galani and Billy Amick and Zane Denton comes back, I mean those are three bats in in the middle of your lineup that will absolutely rake, and then there's also Logan Jordan from Campbell, who is best friends forever with Drew Gilbert, who hit 22 bombs this year, including a couple of against uh, South Carolina against legitimate competition, probably more of a first base DH type. Um, But there's some some big bats 
from the right side of the plate that Tennessee is looking at right now. And and boy, if, if they can land these guys, you, you just kind of figure out where they can play later on down the road, I think. Amen can catch too, which is something to remember. He's a guy who, you know, usually if you're an infielder catcher, that means you're a serviceable catcher and a better infielder. Usually is what that means. Not always, but usually. Um, but uh, but Amick is a guy who could fill a lot of different roles too. And we, we talked about this a lot, Ben. It's no secret, and Will knows this too. Tennessee absolutely needs more right-handed bats. It just it, – it's – Maybe the first team ever that 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 I'd ever seen that was that was good enough to go to Omaha and didn't have a single like really reliable right-handed bat off the bench, which is usually you shake a tree and a team's got three or four of those guys. Like it's it's just not it's weird, but it's the way it worked out. So yeah, I mean if they get half of these guys that that they're really serious about and, and getting that, that's that bolsters things quite a bit because you 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 need more. You need more guys there, and some of these guys would fill really big needs, whether Denton comes back or not. Yeah, and you just you obviously want as many as you can get because, you know, heaven forbid you you deal with some injuries, um, but also you just you just want to create competition, and it's even more drastic, like in football, Wes, as you know, like you just have to get as many three, four, five stars on your roster as you can so that you have depth. Um, yep. And, you know, that's how Alabama and Georgia have just churned guys over one after another because it's like you've got a first-rounder on the field and a future first-rounder waiting behind him. So, you know, it's similar in baseball. It's a little bit different in that you can kind of move guys around like you were talking about, Ben. Um, But I totally agree. You need right-handed hitting. You need depth in the infield. And – you just need guys to come in and compete and make fall practice as close to um, SEC competition as you possibly can every single day. And whoever comes out of that will be more than prepared to play every single day and compete at a high level. Yeah, Amick might be hard to keep away from South Carolina because of the full, like they're throwing a lot uh, of attention and love and God knows what else at them. And, and they're, they're trying hard to make that happen. Um, but it's weird. Like a, you, you think like an Alabama to Tennessee or Tennessee to Alabama transfer is weird. Like a Clemson to South Carolina transfer is super, would be super, super weird. So I don't know, maybe that young man for, for the, his, would for his safety would transfer out of the state, but you know, it's, he's a good player. He's a good player. He is, and he would certainly be a nice pickup for Tennessee. So uh, a lot going on in the transfer portal and on the recruiting trail uh, for Tennessee. There's been a, a ton of other news and, and notes and nuggets that, that we could discuss on the podcast as well. The, 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 the MLB draft combine wrapped up this week, and you had Seth Halverson, uh, Maui Ahuna, Jared Dickey, and Andrew Lindsay invited uh, Ahuna. Lindsay and Dickey made it out there for the last day or two. Uh, Seth Halverson decided to to stay in Knoxville uh, and, and work out here on campus as he builds up for the draft, which is coming up in about two, three weeks. Uh, you also had some some pitchers in, in attendance for Tennessee. Uh, you had Derek Schaefer uh, there, who is a flame throwing uh, right hander, and, and he posted on his Insta- Instagram. Uh, striking some guys out uh, at the event as well. Braden Sharp, 
a nice two-way player, lefty who's up to 95 and uh, two-time district MVP in a big-time baseball district there in Houston. Uh, so you, you did have some high school signees there uh, as as well, and, and we'll update you on their draft status as, as much as possible leading up to the draft. So uh, the, the build-up to the draft is, is off and running. Uh, the, the, the race to land transfers is off and running. You've had some other guys enter the transfer portal, uh, outside of Chase Burns, nobody of huge significance. Uh, you had Jake Fitzgibbons, you had Hollis Fanning, uh, and, and a couple of other guys. Fitzgibbons and, and Fanning are, are, are the more recent ones uh, and, and maybe hurts the, the bullpen depth a little bit. But I believe, as you mentioned earlier, Wes, you don't fault those guys for, for trying to go out and, no. and guarantee uh, innings because I, I do think those guys are, are, are capable and will uh, – be in a position uh, to to get drafted one day. I think both of those guys will get drafted one day and have a have a shot at professional baseball. Uh, you had Jacob Bimby, uh, the lefty, transfer to Western Kentucky. Uh, Turner Swistak, who did not play this year because he redshirted after an early season injury. He's off to Louisiana Tech, uh, and um, I'm sure you'll you'll have some other movement as well. Uh, maybe some depth guys. I, I don't anticipate a, another. Uh, not Drew Beam, because uh, Drew Beam is not going anywhere, like I alluded to earlier. Uh, I don't anticipate another Chase Burns type entering the portal. Um, but, Wes, certainly appreciate your time and your input, and uh, Will, appreciate yours as well. Happy to happy to be here, Ben. Happy to help the team. Yep, enjoyed it as always. Good, you bad, all, in between. Go all. I was waiting on you to to get get your two words in there uh, at, at the end. Uh, you, you all are are two great bullpen options uh, following uh, the, the the starter uh, here on the Diamond Vols podcast. I, I kid, I kid. I'm I, I'm I'm Will Heflin, and and you all are are Sean Hunley and and Redmond Walsh. So uh, we 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 piece it together real well here on on the mound. Does that mean I'm going to get stupidly drafted way too late and then go through the minors very quickly because uh, I should never have been taken like in the 19th round? Is that what that means? Yes. Does that mean I have the most saves ever at the University of Tennessee? Oh, wait. I'm Will. You're Redmond. That's a a heck of a trio. There were a lot of uh, days in the locker room where those three guys just chopped it up and enjoyed (laughs) being there and somehow won a lot of games too. Well, that's good because – uh, yes, we will continue to have coverage of everything Tennessee baseball. It, it may be the offseason, uh, and Tennessee baseball may now be, be neglected by others, but it will not be neglected at GoVols247.com. We have plenty of coverage of the draft and, and the portal coming your way. Uh, I'm working on a ton of, of stories here these next couple of weeks before football season. And, Will, I'm glad that you mentioned what you just mentioned uh, because we're going to get some former players on here as well. Uh, I think the first guy that we're going to get on here uh, either this week or early next week is the one, the only Camden Sewell. So Camden Sewell uh, will join us. And obviously there will be baseball questions, but uh, the gist of it is to sit back, have a good time, uh, tell some stories and, and get to know uh, the the person uh, more than, than we see on TV and, and at the game. So uh, sounds like Redmond Walsh and Sean Hunley, will be added to the list of people we need to get on ASAP so they can tell embarrassing stories uh, of Will Heflin. Sounds great. Sure. (laughs) All right. For Chef Heflin and Mr. Uh, 
pro slow pitch strikeout softballer Wes Rucker. I am the internet blogger uh, Ben McKee. We hope you all have a great time listening to to this. See, I'm flustered on the way out the door. I flustered my own self. Tried to fluster you all uh, and ended up flustering uh, myself as if I'm the Florida Gators in game three of the national championship series. But for Will Heflin, he is Wes Rucker. And I am Ben McKee. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the GoVols247 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock. Got the checkerboard and the summit where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.